Welcome back. It's the 86th episode of the Opfac Cast. I am Steve Cuff, and joining me, I got Jack Eason. Hey, Steve. Hi, Jack. How's uh, your holiday season going, buddy? Oh, you know, it's pretty good. It's it's not so bad. I'm very tired. I'm so tired, Steve. Just just to let you know. Yeah. Do you, do you I mean, since you are a resident Irishman, uh, not of the Scorsese variety, do, do you just spend the holiday season singing along to Fairy Tale in New York, but the only part you sing is when you, when you get to yell the slur? <laughs> well, yeah, I mean the slur is the big part. That's yeah. what it all comes down to. We still play that uncensored on kids programming in Ireland. It's what it's all about. <laughs> We've reclaimed it. We've reclaimed it on behalf of gay people. <laughs> Here, I thought Cuff was going to make a joke about you sending in an absentee ballot for Boris Johnson. <laughs> <laughs> no, that was that was my backup thing. I, I decided to go a topical holiday, but uh, wow, yeah, we we wow. are we already know he absentee voted for Boris. Uh, despite yeah, being an American citizen, he he just figured he just wrote a letter directly. With backups um, like that, why do why do you even need your your core material? <laughs> I got I, I really most of this podcast for me is finding new excuses to uh, to mock you and your Irish heritage, Jack. That's yeah, really I know. And I it's, it's terrible. I got I, I have an American passport now. It's blue. Um, I don't know if I should be pleased about that or not. The British really made a big deal out of it. And you know, it seems like a standard over here. Maybe they should consider becoming the 51st state <laughs> instead no, of Vietnam. <laughs> All right. We got we have uh, Jake Trapila with us as well. Is Ireland a part of uh, England? Well, um, yes and no. Okay, and also yeah. no. I'll have to look into this further. Jack Jack wants it to be. Anytime he writes a letter home to his parents or sends them a Christmas card, he uh, he puts Ireland, UK <laughs> on the address just to send a message. Uh, we also have Myros here. Ah, uh, hi Steve. Hey, how's it going, man? Myros, uh, what would your your number one question be about Ireland? Uh, I, I'm not that curious. Frankly. I got a question on your behalf because I, I got more. I got more shit to talk here. Uh, Jack, you want to explain to me why a lot of people? And when I say a lot, I mean upwards of like 15 percent of the people that I saw drinking beer in Ireland when I was there were drinking Coors Light in a glass of ice. Okay. Um. Yeah, I haven't been back in not Ireland a, for Not like, a full pint either. It's like a little half pint. Like they're doing like a, a small pour over ice. Of yeah, God, the country's gone to shit since I left. Because <laughs> I've never seen that. And that Inexplicable sounds terrible. madness. Absolute that is, madness. That's And that's ridiculous. The Ireland is like craft beer everywhere. It's great. And there's, I didn't, this must be some kind of a weird, you probably, are you sure you weren't like in on like the Irexit? meetings because those exist there's like a group trying to do like brexit but for ireland and there's like uh. 20 of them and they're very openly racist and they're quite stupid but maybe are you sure you weren't there yeah i i, I was i was getting i was radicalized when i was over there you know i, I went on the uh, i went to the prison tour that was very enlightening uh then i i went to the the post office did that little tour oh, the thing. old gpo 
With the bullet yeah. holes still in With it. With the bullet holes still in yeah. it. Uh, join the IRA shortly too, after. Though. Yeah, that's true. Uh, but yeah, <laughs> no and then after worse. I joined the IRA, I ended up quitting because all these motherfuckers were just drinking Coors Light over ice, which I'm, I'm sorry. I'm not going to stand by and, and Maybe they had a mission that. coming up and they just wanted to make sure there was no threat of getting drunk. Not even buzzed. Uh, nothing. <laughs> it's possible. It's po- You never know. You never know. Uh, okay, so. Jesus. You know, people, they constantly accuse us. They're flinging accusations. They say, Optimism Vaccine, we love you dearly. However, you are never timely nor topical in your discussions of popular culture. To which I say, well, you're, you're mostly right, but this is different. We're entering into 2020, and why not kick into high gear? We're flying into the new year with some real topical shit, because this is a television show that people actually care about right now. And that's because we sat down and we watched all of the Watchmen. When they ask who watches the Watchmen, the answer is unfortunately me over the course of 48 hours binging the whole series. So good Lord, this is, this is an emotionally taxing couple of days for me. I don't know about you guys. Myros, what, why do we have in the year of our Lord 2019, why is there a Watchmen TV show? How did this happen? Because uh, society has collapsed and it's a comic <laughs> book, so they must make material out of it. Game of Thrones is over. Something has to go in somewhere. And comics are all the rage these days. Yeah, net- Netflix yeah. got The Kids Witcher. Like so, no Witcher, Watchmen. Mm, that makes sense. That makes sense. Uh, so, this is from the gentleman who gave us Lost, correct? And his name is Damon. Give me a second, Damon Lindelof, right? I think yeah. he's more associated with the leftovers, if I'm not mistaken. The leftovers, yeah. but okay. He did so leftovers lost. Yeah. This is this is his shit. Okay. Uh, and then he's also he's been a producer on things like Star Trek, and then oh god, he wrote uh, when Disney was thinking that it was going to be a good idea to create a series of films on the various like areas in Epcot Center and they were like, yeah, let's make Tomorrowland the movie. He wrote that shit, right? <laughs> yeah, uh, I believe he was involved with that. Yeah. Have any of you have any of you even thought of Tomorrowland I, since like 2016? This is the world that we live in. <laughs> no. It feels like it was eons ago that that happened, but it was somehow really not all that long ago. But so this is a man who is renowned for his writing uh, and yet he has done very few things that I personally give a shit about, but People seem to be very excited about this, and the reason is is because obviously Watchmen is um, a pretty important, critically acclaimed, popular comic slash graphic novel from uh, the mid '80s. It's from Alan Moore, who also did From Hell and Swamp Thing and a bunch of other really cool shit. And basically, in the '80s, he blew up the superhero genre and said, "Fuck this shit! Superheroes suck." and made just this transcendent comic book. And then in 2009, uh, Zack Snyder decided (laughs) to make a movie out of Watchmen, despite the fact that Alan Moore has repeatedly said, hey, don't make a movie out of Watchmen. And then I thought, you know, after the Snyder disaster, we probably won't ever have to deal with this again. And lo and behold, it is 2019. Someone's having another go at it, and we have a Watchmen TV series. But this is not a retelling of the story from the graphic novel. Oh, no. This takes place in present day, so 30 years after when the original Watchmen comic took place, mid-1980s. 
And here we are. So, gentlemen, I don't care who answers this, but I think it's important to start our discussion with what the hell is the Watchmen TV series about? Well, I'll feel that one. Um, I feel like it's about what if you read Watchmen and you liked it a lot and you thought, I want to build on this, but also I don't quite understand what Watchmen is about. That's, and I that's, think that's that's the kicking off point, and it's a wonderful starting point, really. Um, mm-hmm. It's it's kind of amazing to imagine that someone managed to write all of the like nine episodes and really take a, a headstrong approach and everything. And at every turn, it's kind of like, did he read the graphic novel? I'm not hundred percent sure. Did he understand it? Like, he knows the characters' names. He knows some of their interrelations. You know, that's the thing. Dr. Manhattan's blue, appropriately. But then there's other stuff, and it's kind of like, eh, not so sure he really nailed that piece down. Um, and that's and that's really Watchmen. It's it's really good. Um, highly recommended. <laughs> I, I think yeah. it's got right? one idea. I mean, its central big idea is that it it's about the power structure in America and how the haves are, uh, you know, stealing the power of the have nots, if you will. They are weaponizing minorities and the marginalized and, and it, it, it tries to be about that until it's not. Yeah. It's a, I think, I think it's also, sorry. Yeah. You it go just, ahead. It just, it's also like a, a continuation, but also one that really wants to delve into a lot of, hot button issues that uh, America is facing today, like uh, the police and uh, white supremacy um, and things like that. And I, I th- the, the police and white supremacy and also, aren't we getting a little carried away with trigger warnings? Indeed, yeah. Oh, yeah. Uh, <laughs> that seems to be another thing that he zeroes it on. And, and that that is kind of the biggest problem that I have with this whole series is there's no ideological through line. It's a lot of, gee whiz, there's good people on both sides. And yeah, the original Watchmen was explicitly, quite explicitly, about fascism and how superheroes are bullshit Mm -hmm. and how, I mean, white supremacy is a major part of American popular culture and frequently minority groups create their own cultural artifacts which are then taken by white people and recontextualize for a broader white audience, and they lose their meaning. This is a thing that the show also tries to deal with, but it does it in possibly the most clumsy way I've ever witnessed. Well, Steve, in have, a have you ever series. have you ever considered that real fascism is not really about the people; it's about the masks? Because Lindelhoff <laughs> has considered this. <laughs> this, is, this is his major consideration. <laughs> it's like I mean. It wouldn't be so bad, but they put masks on, and that makes people mean. Yeah, you know, it's it's kind of odd because the first time that he, he kind of delves into that, you're like, huh, okay. And then you're like, well, he just got a little slip up there. I don't think he's going to do that. And then it comes back. You're like, oh, this is a thing now. And then it gets worse, and then it gets worse, and then it gets absolutely fucking stupid and then I just I lost all hope by the by the last like two three episodes, 
my brain had just melted into a pool of primordial ooze. It was just just dripping out of my ears. You know, I feel like uh, Vite has a line in the last episode that, that explicitly says masks make men cruel. And I misheard it and thought it actually said something more interesting uh, that I, I thought he had said masks make men true. And I was like, oh, that's kind of an interesting thought. But no, it was I thought just, you say he, you thought he said masks make, uh, I think you say masks make men cool. <laughs> that that's a that's a subplot. That's actually a yeah. thing. I think the Lindelof is actually like it is pretty cool. That's, Zack Snyder too. That's Zack Snyder method, yeah. One definitely. Yeah. One thing I want to say um, because Watchmen came out in 1985. It was a 12 um, issue release. It's now you can just buy it in one book. Um, for many many years, it was deemed to be unfilmable because how do you take such extensive themes and it's 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 really not a, a rousing comic as many would be led to believe it's actually kind of very cynical and dark and um i think when you look up the struggle of how to adapt it i think Zack snyder literally took that at face value because he seemed to just be concerned with how can i animate rorschach's mask and how can i make dr manhattan look real on camera and um and yeah it's it's uh so and also i think my problem with uh, snyder is that He's really just kind of he's also fundamentally misunderstands the comic because everything just has to be so badass and the fight scenes are in slow motion and there's bones breaking out of arms and it just everybody looks so fucking cool doing it. Um, yeah. But yeah. Yeah. Which it is, is, wrong. It is important I mean, everyone to touch in the, on. Yeah. Yeah. Everyone in the novels is, is essentially pathetic. Yeah. Accepting Dr. Manhattan is a stark shift from the the rest of the costumed adventures because he's the only superhuman in these things but if you watch some of these adaptations you would not really get that you would you would think that everyone is uh hulked up and and smashing through walls and they, they all seem like marvel heroes but that's never what the the intent was in the material they're just kind of sad broken men uh, dressing up in spandex yeah yeah there's there's almost a I, I mean, <laughs> if Zack Snyder wasn't himself a guy who gets rock hard for fascism and likes to show it on screen as good, <laughs> I, there's, I, I would say there's almost something like endearing or charming about the way that he shows, that he chose to, to interpret Watchmen and, and show it on the screen because Watchmen as a comic it explicitly rejects the idea of movement like it it is a fucking comic like it there's no there's there's not a lot of like motion lines there's not a lot of action shots good lord i mean when the when the giant squid falls from the sky and kills half of new york city it's just it's like a dozen pages of just still images there's nothing uh snyder also he doesn't he doesn't lean on character to character dialogue in the different frames of the comic either there's a lot of just like narration in boxes which <laughs> again these are things that like they don't lend themselves well to a screen adaptation whether it's television or or it's a film so the fact that anyone decided to do this in the first place is, is a little it's, it's a little much and someone like snyder uh, god i don't know he just it's crazy because you you watch that movie and there's so many scenes in the snyder film that are literally just they're they're ripped straight from the comic book it's it's almost like uh when you know they made sin city and every it was it was basically oh. like a motion comic almost. yeah i think he literally but, used the comic to storyboard the film yeah which is fool, which is which oh. is foolish yeah 
But the problem is, is like when you put a lot of these things into motion and when you try to show action the way the cider does, it all becomes ridiculous. So you get something that on its surface, it looks like Watchmen. It sounds like Watchmen. But then there's just something ugly and stupid and completely wrong about how it plays out on screen. And it's it's very disorienting. Well, sure. Yeah. What's confusing about Snyder is, like we say, it seems like he's exactly the wrong person like he doesn't share the ideology with the comic and yet he quite faithfully like the his version of watchman it's like being stuck in a room with a guy excitedly recounting the story of watchman to you you know and it's just like kind of confusing unless you've already read it and it's just very annoying and it takes a long time um but he he includes things like i mean i i guess one of the most infamous scenes but there's there's the whole scene where um God, i'm trying to blank their names like uh the the owl man and his and sally jupiter or whatever get in that fight they get mugged and they beat the piss out of a whole gang of people and then they go and have sex to leonard cohen's hallelujah playing and this is like Aside from the Leonard Cohen part, the rest of it's all in the comic book, but it's pointing out that these people like are basically the only way they can find any kind of excitement in their life is by hurting people. That's their their whole reason d'etre for everything. And then they have sex, that's the only way they can kind of like channel energy into any kind of a human interaction. Uh, but Schneider puts hallelujah over it, which I is a baffling choice at the best of times. But it's like he's he includes the parts about dysfunction and kind of fascism and and so on. He's got all those elements there. It's just I just don't I don't know if he knows what he's working with. Mm-hmm. Um, it's really a, a bizarre film because because uh, like like Jake says, I think he does use. I mean, he uses a comic largely as a storyboard. It's it, the film is hor- like horrendously faithful to the comic book. Every page mm-hmm. is shot. It's it's so. You know, and if you've read the comic book when you watch the film, it's almost exhausting because you're kind of like, okay, get through it because there's nothing else in the scene to move it past the comic book unless there's violence. And then mm-hmm. suddenly it becomes a whole other thing. It becomes this big slow-mo blood spattering, bone breaking thing. And yeah, it's kind of like, it's kind of like fascism is bad, guys. After, what? you know, you've just watched Triumph of the Will. You know, <laughs> <laughs> it, it's just, baffling as a film yeah and and now i it's been a while since i've seen this so myro since you were the last person to subject yourself to this please correct me if i'm wrong but i remember sort of like centering the film around rorschach but also totally dismissing the kind of character that he is like he's not a good guy he's explicitly even more fascist than almost any other character save for maybe the comedian and there's so much in the comic it's just like yeah Rorschach thinks he's doing good but also he really hates women he explicitly hates gay people he explicitly hates immigrants like he just the things that he says that he does in the comic you're just like what the what the fuck and well, Snyder sort of like reframes him almost as an anti-hero. See, I, I don't think Snyder intentionally shifts the view of Rorschach. I mean, his words are still there. They're just, it's it's just that the film feels so unmoored. You, you don't really get a sense for what it's attempting to do. And, you know, you're not sitting there reading this screed. You're hearing it in a gruff sort of delivered uh, curtly uh, monologue and it, it kind of just washes over you and and you're 
in a superhero kind of, movie watching this guy in in the frame that you the, the average audience member is is thinks they're watching a Batman movie or something and yeah he he does tend to come across that way I, I don't think that's Snyder's intent per se I don't think he's reframing him as a anti-hero as much as he just can't express any of the intention of the work in yeah in I think the film. I think there's a a fascinating like i mean if there is any in to watchman i think as an, a worthwhile film experience i think it is this unintentional rift between form and content like it's just the, the study of an auteur an accidental auteur almost uh, that snyder is not quite aware of what he's working with and following his own instincts and his own instincts are like if you put alan moore and Zack snyder in a room together it probably wouldn't work out very well um, and i think in this that's the film the film is two things not really working out very well together um so there's, there's almost an interesting case of how film can carry you know how film form can carry a, a meaning separate from narrative or from script almost in the you know the idea like they recut the mary poppins trailer to be a horror movie uh that's kind of like snyder's watchman it's kind of like we took an anti-fascist text and we kind of made a, a fascist movie um and that's kind of cool and interesting except that i don't think snyder intended it in the first place it just sort of happened because his own sensibilities kind of go towards you know it, it having to be pretty cool and, and i don't know warner brothers bankrolled it and it's not a cheap film and i don't know if they made any kind of insistences on you know fighting and nudity and you know those kind of saleable elements i have no idea i have a feeling not i have a feeling snyder probably followed all that up on his own um and was probably able to like you know you got an or rating just run with it so yeah, it's it's there's definitely kind of a strange tension there. Like I say, it's it's just a uh, uh, things don't match up, and it's particularly bizarre because, like I say, it's so faithful to the comic book and yet deeply distant from it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's bizarre how you can totally shift the meaning of a text without changing a word. Yeah. Like it, yeah. this, this movie changes almost nothing except in the finale, which that's where the studio notes shine through. I, I'm sure the notes he got were called the crime busters, the watchman. So that the audience has some idea what you're talking yes. about and, you know, change the ending. Cause we don't want a big squid and he does both those things. But other than that, he doesn't change dialogue. Nothing changes. And yet the entire intent of the piece dissolves. Yeah, it's a real, yeah. a real, you know, kind of example of the power of cinema, strangely, but in a bad film. Yeah, the power, <laughs> of, in the, worst the power way. of medium, even, and and that to me is even where we get back into this TV show is that Watchmen is so fundamentally an examination of superhero comics. It is written by someone obsessed and hyper informed on a specific medium. It deconstructs that medium. It's about the medium as much as it's about the message and. That's where these things falter. Like I, I, I kind of half expected the TV show with with how celebrated it's been to do something similar with with television, and it doesn't at all. Not not in the slightest. It it, it thinks it does by putting in this fucking fake TV show. It, it's bullshit. It doesn't have anything to say about the medium of television. Yeah, it's very curious because the fake TV show, which is telling Hooded Justice's origin story, which we 
turn out, which turns out as the TV show constructs that, oh, surely this TV show does not actually know how to justice true origin story. So there's that kind of disconnect between myth and legend, I guess. And I'm, I'm almost certain the man who shot Liberty Valance was probably something they were throwing around in the writer's room while they were putting that together. Um, mm-hmm. And they're nowhere near it. But um, yeah, like it's strange because the fake TV show is, you know, has all the trigger warnings beforehand. You know, this show contains rape and violence and, you know, all kinds of hurtful stuff and racism. And then they they show a scene from it and it's just this bloody, horrific beatdown that Hood of Justice gives to a couple of, like, hoodlums holding up a, a store. Um, and it's strange because then we go back into the ma- into the real show, into the real world of the show, and it's just as violent and stylized pretty much as the <laughs> TV show. And I'm not sure what the... Yeah, like I mean, as we as we said earlier, I don't know what Lindelof believes. I've I've been keyed in on a couple of things because there's there was a podcast he contributed to that went alongside the series, and I didn't listen to it because I mean I'm not invested in doing any kind of real research. Why would I do such a thing? Um, but <laughs> I had heard secondhand people noting that two things Lindelof does believe is that a he ag- pretty much agrees with what Adrian Veidt did. Uh, that he'd also push the button to save the world by killing millions of people in a like a false flag operation, which is pretty significant for the author to admit. Uh, and secondly, he he also mentions at some point that he feels that the original comic reveres superheroes, which is, I think we could all agree, probably the last possible real yeah. reading and i'm i'm, I'm that's saying that's literally this, the opposite that's, yeah, <laughs> yeah. And, and i've picked this up from secondhand read maybe i'm totally off base but honestly seeing the show it's certainly none of neither of those things contradict the show is just an absolute puddle of signifiers and events that kind of and like i i enjoyed i like i've been mean to the show thus far but actually i pretty much enjoyed it around episode seven of nine it really just starts to like fall apart i kind of was like okay this is this the the you know humpty dumpty fell off the wall and it's not coming back together again he's he's just a write-off but um for the first while there's like there's some really interesting tensions in the show between you know the 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 racial element being injected is interesting and the idea of cops as being bad guys and fascist is daring on american television america absolutely loves its cops and loves their fascism that's like a big part of the the glue holding society together uh, the good guys theoretically in the show might be white supremacists but they're based off of rorschach who based on the original text we know actually despite all his other faults actually told the truth and, and, you know, brought out Adrian Veidt's just kind of trickery. So, like, there's these tensions between, you know, who's good and who's bad. And then it just all just goes away to kind of like, you know, well, you know, cops might be a little bad and they put on masks and that's terrible. But you know what? There's still, there's good cops. And, and it's just such a cop out at that point. It's like, we're talking about systemic racism, but you know who can save systemic racism? One good person. I was like, that's mm-hmm. specifically what will never ever overturn any kind of a system is one good person right. or one half-baked fucking genius who committed one genocide, creating mm. a Deus Ex Machina element to create another one. The show just, it, yeah, it makes no sense. It just flips and flops all over the place by well, its yeah, conclusion. It, 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 it goes in that direction. It says, you know, it's dangerous to, to entrust one person with, with a certain level of power. It, it is not productive and and yet 
it's a show that has a protagonist, and the the, the source material certainly does not have a, a protagonist. This has a very clearly defined protagonist in, in Angela Abar, and its its final statement as a show is that sure we just spent an entire hour and even you could say the entire series telling you that that no one should willing anyone who who would willingly take the, the power of a god and uh believe that they could do better and fix society is, is dangerous and not to be trusted and and yet except this one person and that that's kind of the rule of the show all of this is true except as it applies to our protagonist which is yeah, this, oh this, absolutely yeah, this, this, this is the maddening shit this drives me nuts because again like there there is this like fundamental ideology underlying all of this where you could tell that the show's creator seems to believe that that superheroes are at their core good or trying to do good at the very least and while you know he has one foot in the camp of yeah po the police are fascist but also there's some good cops and yeah you know white supremacist ideology is bad but sure there's some good white supremacy he just keeps going this back and forth thing and where it really gets insane is this sort of the, the TV show within the TV show that we touched on a few minutes ago where um, Hooded Justice, who is a black man in, in the television version of the show originally, and then the TV show within the TV show portrays him as a white man. So this is a thing that the show likes to do where it feels like sub subversion for subversion's sake without thinking about the repercussions of what you're doing. Yeah. But... Not only does it do that to just show the, the disconnect between this idea of, you know, white supremacy and, and taking black stories and commodifying them for white audiences, but it fundamentally misunderstands shit, too, because in the actual story, when we see the actual story of, of Hooded Justice here, he's shown at the end killing a bunch of white supremacists who are murdering working class black people, and then... Immediately after he does that, this little story wraps up by his wife saying, you're a bad person. You're bad, bad, bad. I'm leaving you with our child. So the, the message to the audience is clear. It's like white supremacist is bad. But if you are a person who who fights fascism with violence, you are just as bad, if not worse. It's like, what the fuck are you trying to say? It's, I mean, it's this fucking is maddening. It's a centrist wet dream. It's and, and like it really does come down to to a, to a large degree. Like we joked earlier that it's like, well, you know, on the one hand, extreme right wing people are, you know, trying to create a, a fascist mass police force that are unaccountable to create an ethno state. But on the other hand, left wing people are putting trigger warnings on stuff. And that's kind of lame. And that's <laughs> yeah, like that's that's the worldview. This is this is like this is the the Pete Buttigieg of uh, television <laughs> worlds. Like it's oh Jesus, cut it! Then that's it. We're done. We've just sank this. That's it. It's that's. Oh, he's gonna sink his billionaires after us. <laughs> this is the kind of TV show you conceive of in a wine cave but, with billionaire donors. This is really just that reference yeah, is gonna die. It's it's really a an all lives matter power fantasy because I with a TV show like this you shouldn't have to choose between cops and the kkk uh because there's this new the there's, there's this new faction of the white supremacy is called the seventh calvary and they're they're basically the uh they're like the squid truthers because rorschach's journal uh which is the cliffhanger ending of the original graphic novel got published and so they're the ones who actually know the truth but they're also ostensibly the bad guys 
but they're kind of right and i i don't really feel it, it just feels kind of really yeah, that's, gross and icky how that's but that, that's fascinating like I, I i the first tips are that's so fascinating it's like these guys are white supremacists but they also have a nugget of genuine truth at their core um which is okay with like it makes sense within the within this tv series but can you imagine arguing the case of like well you know the ku klux klan are bad but there's a truth at the core of it and it's like no there absolutely (laughs) fundamentally isn't um but i like lindelof doesn't draw these distinctions it's it's just all over the place and it's like these tensions it's something i feel like prestige television is all about like this is this is to me classic prestige television it's got like four episodes where everything's kind of up for grabs and there's these remarkable tensions at play you know and you're like how are they gonna do this how you know how do you reconcile these into a comprehensible political and then they don't and then they don't and then he's like there's just comes that episode where you're like oh shit they don't know what they're talking about that's why this is the way it is yeah, it, it also does that thing that drives me a little nuts, where it's it's very self-important. It, it really thinks that television and film matter in a way that they fundamentally do not and never will. Uh, I mean, one of the central plot points is that the KKK is using uh, film projectors to brainwash African-Americans against each other. Yeah. And yeah. the idea that what is implied there is that media is is culpable and important and significant enough to have impacted racial strife in the last century and to me it's kind of gross i i don't know and yeah. and a lot of it reads false to me like it's just you don't matter that much you, what you're creating doesn't fucking matter it doesn't affect anything uh, what has affected racial strife? A, a hell of a lot more than your goddamn TV show. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. So another, Jay, another thing politically, sorry, just, I just want to say, oh, thing, yeah, cause we're ahead. talking about, we're talking about, you know, the worldview and everything and the politics thing. Something that just irks me about this show, uh, just at its core is right. It opens with like the Tulsa massacre, which is a really fascinating and vastly under discussed historical event in in america where really like a black wall street was developing in tulsa and literally white people just literally bombed it like they bombed it from planes and raised it to the ground because black people were having were too successful and just eradicated it and that was fine because america rolled like that and arguably america rolls like that continually but so they had the whole thing is said in tulsa oklahoma they didn't shoot it there. The whole thing shot in Georgia. And I'm like, if you're going to take harness such a, a core part of American history, like, could you not just fucking go there and give, you know, and, and explore that area and do anything like that? I mean, I know it's uh, like Well, a actually, future. Jack, uh, Georgia has excellent filming tax breaks. So uh, it, does. It, it, also it, was just, it made more sense for our bottom line. Uh, sure, and it also has like really heinous uh, transphobic legislation, um, you know, just, uh, yeah, I mean, I know it's the tax breaks, everything gets shot in Georgia, I swear to God, 90% of TV is shot there now, or like the, the 90% that isn't shot in Canada, but um, yeah, it just irked me that much, because it's just like this, you know, it, like I said, I think Adam's right, there's like this hand-wringing kind of like self-importance to it, but there's no, there's no genuine action behind it. Like, you could have done something on a location. You could have gone there. You could have included 
you know, locations and scoped it out. Nothing. It's just sort of like, me- it's it's like they just piggybacked off of it. You know, it's like they, they appropriated a black tragedy to wrap into a fictitious narrative to make a white man feel better and get a paycheck. This is- I'm I'm glad we're having this discussion too because it just continues to beef up my Watchmen the TV show is Pete Buttigieg the the TV show essentially like they they are the same exactly the same remember when Mayor Pete uh, got a bunch of uh, black community members and politicians to sign his like how I'm gonna help black people plan uh, and the then they actually actor. didn't sign it <laughs> well it's like Damon Lindelof it's like some of my best actors are black. <laughs> and that's that's the show. It's like, yeah, I mean, they're they're putting in the work, um, but I I don't know. It's all just, right. So all what what I want to know, what I want to know, and we haven't really touched on this very much. And Jake, I, I want you to shed some light on this, sure, because at some point the show like it starts off kind of compelling, and then you get to that part in the middle where you're like, oh, there's no way this is gonna be satisfying in any way, shape, or form, and then the wheels really start coming off. But then at the very end, they decide to shoehorn in a love story. And it is absolutely baffling to me. And uh, these these are the freshest episodes in my mind. I just watched them literally last night and this morning, the final two episodes. And I cannot wrap my head around them. So, Jake, what is this, this subplot that is sort of introduced to us with Dr. Manhattan, the love god? Yeah, so for those unfamiliar with Watchmen, Dr. Manhattan is the only character with superpowers. He was, uh, basically, he was created in a lab where he was locked into a some sort of uh, intrinsic field device. Not really important, but yeah, he is. he's basically a walking god. And um, at the end of the graphic novel, he decides that he's fed up with humanity, so he's just going to go explore the ends of the earth. Um, and the TV show wants us to believe that that lasted all about 20 years because he came comes back to Vietnam, uh, which was a country that he helped uh, basically nuke to form the 51st state in the 80s. And he meets our protagonist and she de- develops a romance with him, which then they have to put into hiding because his uh, inability to read time as a not as a linear event is getting in the way and it really is uh, I, I don't know the this is just the dr manhattan element is just so fucking stupid uh in the show and just further that proof that damon lindelof he's all about having these ideas but he cannot really follow through and he just also misunderstands his character in the graphic novel and that how it's literally the the trope that love conquers all things which you would find in like a christopher nolan space movie um but but uh yeah i i don't know i don't really have yeah dr manhattan is is like i love the dr manhattan character i think alan moore's idea is fantastic because dr manhattan is literally like to me he just reads absolutely he is the ultimate piss take of superman He's this idea of like Superman was like created as like this omnipotent being, but he upholds basically American social values, like, you know, Western progressive social values. 
and you know okay it's comic book superman whatever i've never found superman particularly compelling in large part because you know he is so all-powerful it's just uh, i don't know it doesn't read that well to me but alan moore goes further and he basically posits that this omnipotent being would be completely incapable of sympathizing or even understanding human life and would eventually just kind of just walk off and leave he wouldn't give a crap who cares if someone's robbing a bank you know if you can read all of space and time and you can create life yourself and manipulate things in a, on an atomic level who gives a shit about you know race relations who cares about anything you know who cares if someone is embezzling money somewhere you know or someone's a stick-up man yeah. it's nonsense it's, you yeah. know and that's and dr manhattan is the the realization of that is this guy who basically just kind of uh just kind of leaves he just wanders off and then the you know in the comic book adrian veidt engineers a, a massacre a genocide effectively to trick the world into world peace and dr manhattan comes back just long enough to kill the only witness to that who won't <laughs> keep quiet and because he just reckons the math works out enough and then he just kind of leaves again and lindelhoff turns around and kind of goes like yes but yeah no he'd really he'd want to he'd want to get in a relationship like he'd want to understand love and it's just the most bizarre like I don't understand he could, he needn't have put in Dr. Manhattan at all it needn't even have been mentioned because he left uh, yeah. to, to go and do whatever but instead he yeah he incorporates him in and tries to make him human and I don't understand the impulse behind it because it, you know Manhattan's function in the comic book I think is deeply cynical kind of funny um, but also I think you know I agree with Moore's conception of, of that you know it's it's you know, it's it's why I don't, you know, superheroes fundamentally are these, uh, this idea that superheroes, if they actually were superhuman and excelled, you know, they they probably wouldn't care too much about human relations. And that, that's in part where authoritarian mores will come in, this, this uh, kind of uh, ignoring of the quotidian, of, of the emotional, the irrational, uh, the, you know, the, the enforcing of a great system and dr manhattan leaves in part because the system is annoying to him because he can't participate in it because he can't lower himself into it because a large part of you know human systems is humans not knowing what's happening being scared about something not understanding time and their place and fearing about their legacy or their their needs uh, he can't understand it and it just kind of leaves it's sort of like oh well you know i'm just gonna go and play on mars and that's literally what he does he's like at the end of the comic book he literally goes like this is interesting i think i'll go and create some life and like it's the most like utterly incredible takeaway of just like there was a genocide but i think it about works out okay i think i'll go and see what i can come up with and that's that's Manhattan. He's not in any way sympathetic or honorable or interesting almost as a character because he's not human fundamentally. And so this idea that in, in Lindelof's show that Manhattan would come back, decide he just really likes this one lady who's destined to be a cop, actually who is a cop when he meets her. Um, and it's kind of like, yeah, she seems nice. We'll get together and have some kids, but I need someone to uh, take away my, my superpowers so that I can try being a human. It's like, why would Dr. Manhattan be so hell-bent on being a human? Uh -huh. There's no adequate explanation for it, let alone the fact that he ends up spoiler alert dying in this tv show through a completely invented uh kind of weakness that includes watch batteries yeah because uh, watchmen man because sing you, yeah, you beat zinc. you beat the watchman with a watch 
Like, Man. none of this. You, you beat him by containing him in a cage made of zinc, uh, which there's no mention anywhere that he is, he is, uh, that was zinc limits his powers, but also that uh, there's enough space for liquid to pour in underneath. This man who has literally went to the most distant moon of Jupiter and created life from scratch. And he's just kind of like, oh, no, I can't he's get out by man-made materials. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's, it's just such a like such sloppy writing, uh, completely unfaithful to the original text, both in theme and spirit. Um, absolutely baffling decision. Um, yeah, I, I don't understand why the, the it, like, honestly, it just feels like it's just a chance to make like, what if God was black? Uh, another, That's, you know, it's like yeah. subversions of subversion's sake, and it's like, you know, what if he was? Well, you know what? He'd give, he'd make, he'd make God a black woman. Uh, powerful stuff. What does that mean? I have no fucking clue. That, that's uh, the entire nah. fucking. This is where the show lost me entirely. I'm much like Jack for a good portion of it, and even through the end, I'd say I enjoyed watching it. But the more you think about it. The more it, it just kind of drives you nuts. Oh, do not think about it. That yeah. really hurts it. Right, yeah. It, it, and the Doc Manhattan stuff kills me. Because it may be Moore's best idea in a career filled with brilliant ideas. And he's not just a piss take on Superman, although he's very clearly that. And, and a representation <laughs> of the fact that Superman would be pathologically incapable of giving a shit about any of us. But also a piss take of religion and the fact that god would would in fact be incapable of giving a shit about any of us if he does exist it doesn't matter because he doesn't love you and this show is about god falling in love with someone and it's horny asinine <laughs> yeah why is god horny i yeah. don't know why why is god in love with angela well, Abar? i don't understand dick. yeah yeah that, and, and that's the other thing too is not only is God horny and God is in love, but why? Yeah, why Angela Abar? It doesn't. There's there's no there's no connection there. It just sort of happens, and then we we blindly accept it. And, we, you know, we maybe, spend, well, maybe because you it can, was oh, it's gonna be told you in season two. It all makes sense. Like, we well, spend the no. entire novel, you know, watching him become uh, another species, become incapable of connecting with humanity, and then all of a sudden. 30 years later, We're also, uh, he wants yeah. to be a man again. And it's like, well, 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 there's nothing in this text that would say that. There's nothing in the original text or the text that you have presented us uh, with. Yeah, that even says even that. To, make, to make any sense, I mean, if, if God wants a partner and God can pass on his powers, wouldn't he, wouldn't it be, wouldn't his interest be in a, a partner, like, of equal power to him? Would he not want a similar, you know, he could create someone of similar uh, abilities to him, but instead he becomes human, he drags himself back to humanity in some very bizarre uh, kind of fashion in which he still, in a reflexes, he can still use his god powers, which apparently only came up once in his entire 10 plus years as a man, where uh, uh, during the White Knight, which is an event in the, the TV show mm. where uh, a lot of police officers were were assassinated by the, the 7th Cavalry, um, that that what someone was going to kill Angela and, and Dr. Manhattan spazzed out and blasted him uh, just as a reflex he didn't even know what happened which firstly how did he not remember that that happened 
Uh, and secondly, you know, that's very convenient. Like, no, nowhere else in 10 years was he ever startled and horrifically <laughs> destroyed someone, um, you know, in public. Like, never, like, a fender bender or anything like that. Where, like, just quiet, some quiet people life are in the suburbs, out. man. We, quiet <laughs> life in the suburbs. Yeah, we should also mention that Dr. Manhattan, in nine episodes, we've discovered that he's actually been living as uh, Angelica Abar's husband undercover with yes. his memory wiped with a special chip implanted by Ozymandias uh, for the first seven episodes. And then she finally like beats it out of him with a hammer to wake him up. And yeah, that's kicks off the yeah, love and, story. And, and, and Ozymandias, Adrian Voight also is, isn't just me or is this TV show very kind to him? Uh, in ter- like, and in an awkward way. And then like, he, I, honestly, I think uh, Jeremy Irons, uh, playing fight is great he's probably the highlight of the series for me he's just this strangely just off kilter just demented person he's on we find out later on he's on the the on a distant moon of pluto i guess uh that uh, dr manhattan created as paradise and he's surrounded by these human creatures who are com- they're perfect humans so they're apparently completely compliant and have no aggression whatsoever um which i guess is supposed to be a statement in itself but like everything else in this show just kind of hangs kind of limply and kind of doesn't offer any real insights at all so Veidt has to firstly create an enemy by putting a mask on someone and that apparently makes them evil intrinsically which is a stupid idea personally <laughs> and the way it's delivered but then also like he just casually kills them left right and center he actually uses just massive amounts of them he murders them just to create like write a message that can be read from space i mean there's some really like funny moments of his just absolute megalomania and complete you know heinousness he understands or not human human you know quote unquote they're not you know dr manhattan created them but they're they are effectively real lives and he just extinguishes them because he doesn't care uh, and then he's basically saves the world again according to lindelof yeah. if lindelof thinks you know i would push the button another you know, i would do what Vite did yeah so so essentially like there's this reading that Vite honestly kind of did humanity a solid again by stopping uh whatever true the the vietnamese billionaire um and then at the end of the show the very last scene the show is that um he gets arrested by uh sally the uh, sally i can't Uh, remember laurie laurie sorry yeah yeah, um who's who was is one of the few characters carried over from the original uh comic book there's there's laurie and dr manhattan and adrian vite i think are the the main holdovers and she and laurie is underdeveloped in this too because she's one of the only people in the world who actually knows the truth that vite did it yeah everyone else is operating off of vite's confession but they don't he could have been lying there's no real proof um she's one she's maybe the only person on earth who knows it's real we don't have um the owl man or whatever he's not he's not in this show at all that we know of uh, although god uh, knows uh, if they make a season two it'll turn out he was actually the green grocer uh, all along according to a pdpedia he's in prison right now yeah. oh i see well okay fair enough then so <laughs> um, if we should mention and, and the, it, the the wiki yeah, that's been made that's a, yeah i'm i'm scared to even look at it to be honest um, but, you know, at the end of it, she arrests Adrian Veidt after he saves the world a second time for the genocide that she has sat on for 20 years without saying anything. Um, I, I don't know. It's just there's this amorality. And like, I don't know, is, is it amoral or is it just utterly confused? 
uh, and I don't know how they could square it. It's is it a happy ending? Is it a good ending? Like I think Lindelof pretty much thinks Veidt is necessary. He certainly rendered necessary in the the flow of events. Is you know is Veidt's kind of and Veidt I suppose if we were talking political spectrum is the ultimate centrist really isn't he? He's like he he teleports a giant squid into New York and kills millions of people so that the the communists and the Americans will will strike deal. You know he just identifies that everyone just needs to meet somewhere in the middle by killing scores and scores of people. Um, <laughs> So which is literally yeah which is literally the ultimate cent- centrist kind of ideal it's kind of like you know one one group wants genocide the other group wants not genocide so a little genocide is the logical position it's the way and to that's, do it and that's adrian fight and it's sort of like lindelof just seems to think that you know like yeah that's that's the way like it's you know measured sort of like a little bit of death a little bit of suffering I don't. I'm just so utterly unconvinced of his politics. It is baffling at every point. Veidt is another that character happens. that I don't understand too. Like, what is his motive for saving the day in the last episode? He is fundamentally a fascist. He's always been a fascist. Why is he opposed he under- to True's plan? Well, I assume he understands he's opposed to True's fans because True is illogically usurping his position his his own megalomania so i mean it's self-serving to defeat her i guess to under like he's he's kind of at peace with dr manhattan existing he had nothing to do with that fair enough but true actually you know openly usurps his crown she's the smartest person in the world he isn't anymore she's actually going to succeed in becoming a god and she'll become effectively the mechanism that vite secured by the squid like i kind of understand that that like it's his it's his egomania that keeps him in you know that that makes him want to defeat her but at the same time it's kind of like is is he wrong in this instance he he kind of he it's good maybe no one should have the power of a god unless they're also a cop yeah Final I, don't, I, I don't know <laughs> which is an insane like and, and god looking at america right now and looking over the last couple of years to fucking sit down and come up with this conception of you know who needs better representation cops yeah. Like, you know, you know, who you know, who needs to be portrayed as being even handed and, you know, could be trusted with fucking omnipotence cops. It's crazy. Another thing, I guess we talk about from the his his idea of, uh, you know, I guess PC gone mad is that police officers have to like call in to get their the opening scene of the series is a police officer yeah. doing oh a traffic God, stop. Yeah. And he's, he's suspicious of the guy he's stopping. And it turns out with good cause, the guy's a member of the 7th Cavalry. It's a black police officer. Uh, so he's loading all the corners here. He's loading it with everything we need. And so the police officer's like calling in going like, I've got a bad feeling. Release my gun because his gun is in the car and it's locked. It's got an electronic lock and that can only be released by dispatch. So police officers can't just have a gun with them because it's PC gone mad. Police officers aren't allowed to just shoot people now whenever the fuck they feel like it. Terrible, terrible kind of a setup. And and it's too late and dispatch don't release his gun in time and he's murdered. And that definitely convinced me that police officers, you know, need more guns and they need far less protections, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah, we should give them all guns and God powers. I don't don't really see an argument against that. Like, this is just, like, like Lindelof's (laughs) concerns are, like, the last, like, the most tone-deaf last thing we need it feels like to me and I, I don't know you know like my only concern is that maybe someone who holds genuine white supremacist values will watch this and go like yeah a lot of good points 
<laughs> I feel like that might happen. I don't know if that's going to happen. It's just, this is just so utter. Like, who looked at the fucking Ferguson protests and Flint's water supply and kind of goes, you know, like, yeah, no, you know what's what we really need, you know, and, and like standing rock and shit like that and went, you know what? Cops have it pretty rough right now. Like, who, <laughs> who did that? Who did that with a straight face? And his name is Damon Lindelof. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, yeah, I All actually right, did listen to the the official podcast because I hate myself, but I uh, <laughs> I didn't. I'm sorry, I didn't take note of either of the the things that Twitter had highlighted that that you're uh, regurgitating a bit. It, it, they may be accurate. I can't say as I was paying uh, astute attention at all times. But the the genesis of this project was having been asked to approach Watchmen and and not having any great ideas of his own. He he says he was. <laughs> reading Ta-Nehisi Coates and decided <laughs> this was a story he needed to tell. And I'm like, yeah, that checks out. But uh, is, it, is it a story you need to tell? Tell a story that doesn't involve Watchmen. Here's, yes. And that is, that's, the, yeah. that's kind of the final point that I want to I touch on here with this. And uh, Jake, I'll let you take a crack at this first. But yeah, sure. Is, <laughs> is Watchmen a better show if it's not about Watchmen? Oh, uh, yeah, absolutely. I think the, well, the issue is that it's, it is connected to this text and this, the misreading of it is what lends to many of its issues. And uh, certainly there's room in America for a kind of show that does touch on these hot button topics. And I think like the, the opening sequence of the, the black police officer pulling over the white supremacist is something that, you know, could certainly be looked at under defter hands. The issue is that, oh, this is just an adaptation of a graphic novel. And like Adam said, it just becomes a screed for weird, centrist, all lives matter politics that I am not uh, on board or comfortable with. So, um, yeah, I think divorced from Watchmen, you could have something good here. Um, But as it stands, it's not very good at all. I'm less confident. I think that having seen all Maybe of, I'm just too optimistic, but Yeah, ahead. I mean I, I've seen all of the leftovers. I've seen all of Lost and Lindelof can be a very excellent writer of individual stories. You know, he's he's he can craft an hour of television with the best of them. Uh but all of his projects, if you look at in the macro, they stop making any sense. <laughs> They they lose meaning. He he's not the best at, at crafting a whole narrative. I'd say a, a cohesive, long form narrative. It's it's certainly not something easy to pull off. But I'm I'm not more convinced that he would have done so without the burden of the Watchmen characters. It would have had a better chance to succeed uh, because again th- this thing fell on its ass every time it, it tried to bring in. Moore's characters because especially Manhattan my god did he fuck that up he, he seems to not understand anything about that character and he made him the whole the whole center of the show he, he, toward the end and yeah so I, I think it would be it would have a greater chance to succeed but I question Lindelof's storytelling in, in long form guy should maybe write more movies well he did yeah. write Prometheus so yeah, oh, Tomorrowland, <laughs> come on. Yeah. Are, you guys, are you guys really downplaying? This is Tomorrowland Erasure, yeah. and I'm not going to stand for it. Well, uh, I, I do want to <laughs> say, just because we're negative, I, there is one fantastic episode in this show, and it concerns a character played by Tim Blake Nelson. 
he goes by the mon- he's a cop, but he goes by the moniker Looking Glass because he wears a reflecting mask, uh, which we actually later learn is also used to prevent any psychic brain waves from getting into his head. But his episode is really interesting because it kind of shows how a single person deals with the PTSD and fallout of the squid attack in the 80s and how that's pretty much sort of ruined and defined his life. And I think also Nelson is very much a highlight in the show. I, I really liked his his lone episode, which is also, I think, Adam, we spoke off mic that this is kind of a good thing that Lindelof is at dealing with is just single character-based stories that are not ultimately a part of the larger whole Mm-hmm. Right, yeah. Yeah, I, I'd agree. That's that's the strongest episode by far. Well, you see far. that in all of his projects. There are several episodes in the early seasons of Lost that just kind of pull back and examine a single character and their, oh, yeah. their past. And he does the same thing in The Leftovers. There's like two episodes in particular in the first season that just kind of just, you know, look at a very small human story. And they all of a sudden you go, wow, this is something great. And I found myself saying that with this looking glass episode as well and yeah unfortunately the rest of all those shows exist i mean I, the leftovers yeah. I, i'm fond of I, I i don't mean to completely toss it out but th- this less so mm-hmm. all right well hey we gotta we gotta wrap things up here we're getting down to the wire so gentlemen in the holiday spirit, uh, I'd like you to put something over, preferably with a little holiday flair, if you could. So, Jake, what are you putting over this week? Oh, my gosh. Well, I, was, I was not prepared for the holiday twist. Um, exactly. Yeah. Optimism vaccine is about me not relaying any information to anyone else <laughs> and then making you think on your feet. You've known this. That's true. Um, well, you know, if if you're looking for a good, uh, I'm just going to recommend my favorite horror movie, which also happens to be a Christmas movie. Uh, it's a 1974 film, which was also remade recently uh, with updated uh, politics. Uh, it's called Black Christmas. It's a 70s film set in a sorority house where a maniac breaks into a sorority home and starts picking off the girls one by one. And he leaves these insane, obscene phone calls. It's very dark and it's beautifully atmospheric. And uh, from what I hear, the remake is absolute dog shit. So... Uh, stay home and watch uh, Black Christmas from 1974. And just to also tie into our episode of Watchmen, I recommend going to YouTube and watching uh, Saturday Morning Watchmen, which is a two-minute animated short that shows the Watchmen characters from the original comic as a Saturday morning TV show. Uh, it's a lot of fun. But yeah, that's uh, those are my recs. Yeah, you should definitely Good watch choice. that remake too. It, it's great. Oh, killer yeah, all, is, nine, all nine hours of it. It's a, it's a, <laughs> the killer has severe jaundice for some reason, and uh, it's amazing. I saw that. Let me. Oh, I, thought, quick, I thought you were talking about the, the Watchmen remake. I thought oh, you were going no, to Bad Black Christmas. Christmas. Just, Black quick, Christmas. Quick sidebar. I, Black Freighter? I, I did watch the, uh, the Black Christmas remake in 2006. I rented the DVD on Netflix, and I was curious, so I watched through the special features, and the guy who was shooting like a behind-the-scenes documentary on the film he straight up asks the director about a, a certain horror movie trope that the guy is indulging in and is asking, why would this character do this? It's very stupid. And the director looks at the camera and goes, shut up, and walks away. <laughs> <laughs> that's, I like that. That's worth trekking down. Shit. Yeah. Now, now you got me interested in 2006 Black Christmas. Oh, Holy shit. It's one of the worst films I've ever seen. But uh, yeah, that's, uh, that's spe- speaking, of, sure speaking of yeah, speaking of misunderstanding the original. Yeah, the, it's like, let's give the killer a backstory and have him 
have jaundiced skin and he's he like christmas he's scarred from because like when he killed his parents he like cut christmas cookies out of their flesh and baked them and ate them and yeah it's <laughs> so stupid all i all i remember is he he has a catchphrase when he kills people doesn't he he does he say like you're my family now when he like kills people because he makes them his family by turning him into cookies or whatever the fuck he does uh, Isn't it? that's a thing i'm pretty sure that's a thing that's the only thing i recall from the whole fucking movie that's yeah, that's possible <laughs> well we're all gonna have to sit down and watch that one something to do with the family on christmas eve true uh maros what are you putting over well in the generous spirit of the holiday i i want to put over uh Fox Media, you know, sometimes <laughs> you have to make some some tough choices in December, and uh, you know, they're doing right by uh, their employees there. Uh, great work, Fox. Uh, you know, salute, Merry Christmas, and uh, best of luck in the new year. <laughs> Thank you for that. That that was wonderful, uh, Jack. How about you? What are you putting over? I'm putting over. Uh, this is a very good question. I'm also not prepared with seasonal seasonally appropriate mm-hmm, things mm-hmm. um so uh, i'm just gonna claim i've just been listening to uh blood incarnation this latest album which is definitely not christmasy at all but i guess if you if you just pretend it could be uh hidden history of the human race it's like just actual death metal but it doesn't suck which is curious um so yeah just listen to that and maybe put on a santa hat and just uh, run with that. It's it's pretty good. It's like death metal, but like just enough of like a little bit of a prog sensibility to like make it interesting. And I'm actually quite surprised how much I like it. <laughs> also, you could just watch Wake and Fright, which is also technically set at Christmas. Oh, there you go. That's a good movie. There you go. All right, boys. Well, for me, I am putting over a movie that is often overlooked during the holidays, which is, in my mind, an absolute crime. So... Everyone knows at least one person. It's probably a cousin of yours who around the holidays likes to post something on Facebook along the lines of my favorite Christmas movie is Die Hard. And then inevitably one of your other cousins goes, that's not a Christmas movie. And then he goes, yeah, it is. And this is this is a fun thing that has been happening since 2009. And people think that it's 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 a cool thing to say. It's not cool. Steve, you know, the Daily Wire uh, ben Shapiro's, you know, rag actually mm-hmm. like posted a meme specifically about that because they're all about Die Hard being Christmas movie. Uh-huh. I just wanted to uh-huh. let you know that it is because of course I mean, they are. Yeah, it's like yeah, it's 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 a Christmas movie, I guess. But let's not act like we're the first person to fucking discover this. It's it's a well known fact. This is this is a well known thing. Now I'm going to tell you about a movie that I believe rivals Die Hard in terms of quality as an really just dumb late 80s action spectacle film and that's a little movie called cobra which also happens to be a christmas movie and you might not catch it because it takes place in los angeles but there's lots of little christmasy touches uh, along with a shitload of product placement so i would recommend instead of watching die hard this year at christmas cozy up with the family watch cobra it's about sylvester stallone doing one-liners while being a big fascist piece of shit ties into the Watchmen stuff as well here. And on top of that, he fights a gang of guys that carry axes everywhere. It doesn't get any better than that. So, highly recommend Cobra if, if, for your, if I your could, holiday uh, watching. If I could add to Cobra, it's also really very much worth watching for to see how Stallone eats a slice of pizza in that movie. Oh, yeah. It is profoundly fucked up the way he eats it. Like, that's going to ruin you <laughs> for a really long time. I gotta say, so, yeah. uh, better than Die Hard. 
Oh, Cobra better than Die Hard. You and also, it, yeah. put it on my cinema's put it on my best, tombstone. Uh, cinema's best. Uh, what you call it? The, the 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 when they draw the suspect. What is that called? Uh, oh yeah, the, oh. the <laughs> whatever that is. Yeah. The sketch sketch artist. Yeah, yeah, the sketch the, artist the draw, yeah, police sketch artist. Yes, the the best police sketch you'll ever see. In, it's in like a hastily <laughs> scrawled child's drawing. Like, they realized the day that they were shooting that scene, they're like. Oh no, we didn't have someone do this. They just had some PA who took like two art classes in college just sketch out a guy's face. It's amazing. It's absolutely incredible. Right on. Um, yeah, you, you really you can't go wrong. Can't go wrong. And I think what is what is Stallone? Stallone drives this classic car the entire time. It's some like like forties muscle car or something. Is he on a Shelby Cobra? Because did they go that literal? Oh I haven't no, seen no, it no, in no. Years. It's couldn't it's afford one of those. It's something dumber than that. You think Shelby Cobra would make more sense? But his license plate says like "Awesome Dude" or something like that's his license plate. <laughs> all, all I remember from like video stores in the eighties was that tagline like "Crime is a disease and he's the cure." Hell yeah, which is, is. like absolutely like the most fascist like line you could imagine oh uh, yeah. yeah it's it's a pretty dumb movie i'd actually forgotten yeah. that was one of the if, la if christmas gonna, canon if you're gonna consume like fascist cop media i mean at least watch cobra because it does it gleefully and with so much stupidity you can't help but love it you've, you've convinced so. me steve i have a lot of 2019 screeners to get through but uh i might just rewatch cobra tonight yeah, dude, fuck the screeners, and best picture goes to Cobra this year. Yeah. All right, gentlemen, uh, thank you very much for this rousing discussion. Uh, Jack, where can we find you on the internet? You can find me on Twitter at RealJackEason, where I will be posting nonsense, and uh, yeah, feel free to chime in. Cool. Uh, Marios, I know we can't find you on the internet, uh, but Jake, where can we find you? Did Adam put something over? I forgot if he did. Yeah, yeah. He did. Oh, yeah. Oh, I, I'm so sorry. Uh, check I think out Adam Vox should have to give us. Oh, that's right. That's right. That's right. I, it was a. Since it was Adam, a thing. Does, since Adam's barely on the internet, I feel like he should have to give his home address. Uh, just, just me though. Sorry about Go that. Go visit Myros on his farm. Uh, tweet at me, Jake Tropila, T R O P I L A. I'll respond if you're nice. Yeah. If you're nice. If you're not, don't worry. If you're not, I'll meet you. You could just be a dick to Jake online. Yeah. Why not? He's the nicest one of us here. If you want to so be a dick, it. hit me up on my alt account, Mr. Glynis. <laughs> yeah, definitely <laughs> send all hatred to at Mr. Glynis. That's at M-R-G-L-I-N-I-S. That's right. Uh, you can find me on the internet at Steve Cuff. That's at Steve C-U-F-F Twitter letterbox. If you want to read my one line joke reviews of stupid things that I watch. Uh, other than that, if you got any questions, comments, death threats, marriage proposals, optimismvaccine at gmail.com is a good place to send those. Maybe my also read them, maybe not. Uh, other than that, you could tweet at us at optimismvaccine uh, if you like screaming into the void, but I recommend yelling at us individually. It seems to work out better. So with that, gentlemen, enjoy your holidays. And uh, Jake, last word is yours. Nothing ever ends. Nothing ever ends.